0: hallelujah hallelujah father touch our minds that we might understand touch our ears at a stranger's voice we will not hearken unto touch our hands that we can perform and our feet that we can walk it out our hearts that we can receive it's in Christ's name we pray every saint that agreed to say amen. amen amen if you were here on Wednesday night then you already have a bit of excitement in your spirit On Wednesday night, the Lord moved mightily yet again. If you're missing Wednesday nights, you are missing um, powerful moves of God. Absolutely powerful moves of God. Wednesday, we discussed uh, last Sunday's message, Reformation Through Wisdom, uh, wherein we recognize at the conclusion of that message that all wisdom is found in the crucifixion of Christ. That's all wisdom. And Paul says, I decided when I'm around you and I, preach, and I preach to you that I don't know anything else but Christ's crucifixion. And we found that a bit odd on last week because the best part of the story is Christ's resurrection. Yeah. And after that, his ascension. So when Paul says, I'm just preaching and teaching to you the crucifixion, we came to realize that if you cannot accept Christ's crucifixion as the primary means for your salvation, then you're going to have a hard time moving as a, as a Christian. Yeah. You're going to have a struggle. Because seeing Christ crucified fills the heart with so much love and adoration for who God is. Yeah. Apart from receiving him in that way, only receiving Christ also because of his resurrection, also because of his ascension, really feeds that controlling part of us that like to be in control, that yeah. likes to know that we always got victory in everything. Yeah. And that's a lot of us came to Christ with that. And are all very true concepts. But primarily, Paul was wise enough to say, we need to get saved just because he was crucified. The fact that God Almighty decided to become human, to dwell among us, to put on flesh, to experience what it's like to be human, and then to be completely humiliated and embarrassed, tortured, and go through so much misery. I'm sure God could have found another way to save mankind. I'm sure he could. I mean, he's an infinite God. He's all-knowing and all-wise. But this is the method that he chose, and it's one that reveals the heart of God. His, his, his forever intentions, how he's always determined that he wanted to be in relationship with his creation and how he maintained that covenant and the idea of what he wanted through mankind. That is a powerful message in of itself. In of itself. So receiving Christ's crucifixion as the primary indicator as to why you got saved was and is paramount because you began to accept the fact that even if I don't get things my way, my god was crucified even if things don't go the way i want my father was crucified even if i don't get a house on a hill and a big old car my savior was crucified and he did so that he might be with me that i might have the ability to dwell with him forever and that's a powerful statement in of itself so last week we looked at that and we looked at i don't know how we got to the concept or the idea Of how satan really tries to what his overall intentions are and i think it was somewhere around i think we got there through one of our verses on last week that i'm going to use for this week and james chapter 4 was one of the verses that we looked at verse 1 from last sunday james chapter 4 verse 1 and it says what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you is it not this that your passions are at war within you you desire and do not have you murder uh, and, and you do not use desire and do not have so you murder you covet and you covet excuse me and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel you do not have because you do not ask you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions let's stop right there now as we stated um, on every message this year these particular sermon topics were selected by the hand of God in my opinion because I couldn't have been so so smart In December of 2022, and we had no idea, at least I didn't, only the father, that looking at transformation through wisdom would then lead us to the cause of Christ Mm -hmm. and his crucifixion, which is thus the truest intent of passion, which is our topic for today, transformation (laughs) through passion. good job guys I had no idea when it was reformation through wisdom and I'm writing these topics down as the Lord is placing them on my heart that we will even think of or go to the idea that all wisdom is in the crucifixion of Christ but it is and it was I wasn't that theologically deep at the time I was just writing stuff down as the Lord gave it to me and then that idea of wisdom and Christ's crucifixion came right before the next topic which is passion right And you guys have seen the passion of Christ the movie all right that name the passion of Christ is used in the book of Acts and we're gonna talk about that in just a little bit but I had no idea that it would go to this so on last Wednesday night we were looking at these quarrels that James is talking about these 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 uh, fights among us he says that the problem comes within stuff that we want that we can't have right stuff that we don't we're not supposed to have that we want stuff that we want but it's in the wrong timing whatever it is he says no matter what all of these quarrels and fights among each other come because there's something about your passions that are with that are in war within yourself and so last week we talked about on Wednesday night we discussed the idea of passions and how we have certain desires and what we don't recognize is that Satan he understood Humanity better than Adam and Eve understood he knew that human beings are the uh, the powerhouse of God on earth and I don't mean power in terms of strength I mean power in terms of ability that the father chose to use Adam and Eve and all of mankind thereafter to fulfill his will on earth to subdue it to fruit be fruitful and multiply To cause everything under the sun to operate according to God's intention. And that was given to us as human beings. Now, Satan understood that if I want to change the earth as my possession, it ain't the cows, it ain't the giraffes. It's not the horses or the dinosaurs that I have to be worried about. The only way to change the direction of this earth under the sun is by making sure I use the ones that he put in charge. The stewards of the earth. That is found in Adam and Eve. So with one word, as Christ has always talked about, words are seeds that are planted in our hearts that then become fruit, all right? Satan knew that if I could plant a seed in Eve, and Adam, that we can tell them that they are not much like God. They can be more like Him, knowing good and evil, and that is more wisdom in that if they eat of the tree that God told them not to eat of. This one thought then grew, had fruit, and they ate. The idea that the fruit of the word of deception from Satan became fruit is symbolic in the idea that they ate fruit. My, my, wow. That this is a fruition. Of everything that Satan was plotting and planning what I love about the book of Genesis even though we just see uh, excerpts and and, and, and portions of them the major parts of this story we don't know how long Satan had been enticing Eve we don't know how long the plot had been little breadcrumbs of now you know if you knew this you wouldn't have to worry about that and oh the Lord don't want to tell you that much does he Uh uh-huh you know you don't know how long Satan was enticing Eve and making her feel insufficient In the things of God but we do know he was deceptive and I'm going to show you that in another in another passage today because Satan does not just hit you one time that's not how it works you don't fall into sin just accidentally that sin was planned from the very beginning of your first temptation right and then situations and appointments and conditions of your heart begin to merge with that and then of course uh, we have sin all right what I find is interesting is that you cannot be tempted by anything you don't want. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah. so as we discussed, <laughs> right, I <laughs> bet you want that garbage. No. <laughs> Ooh, garbage. <laughs> no. <laughs> right, you don't want any of that. So Satan knew that in order to get you to desire something, we, he has to make it appealing. Because if he can make it enticing by the eye or the heart or a selfish desire, then you will receive that word as if it is yours. And any human being that receives word, if it stays in you, it begins to be produced. Any word. Christ says in parables, your soul and your heart is like seed, like ground, and the word of God is like seed. right? Choked out, dried out, tossed aside. Or planted in good soil but the man's heart is designed to produce words because words is what established creation so a man's heart is designed to rule creation as God intended with his word so when Satan gives you another word as we talked about on Wednesday night his overall goal is to make sure that you, dear human, could produce his will on earth and not the will of God. I'm just, now this, this is just a fact. You should have been here on Wednesday night because I preached it a whole lot better than this. But his goal is to make you be enticed, to make you feel insufficient, insecure, not protected, not kept, not thought about, not seen. Whatever it takes, you need to have an, an alt with God, right? Some area that you feel some sort of way that God is not tending to or not hearing you on. And that creates an opportunity for nice little words and thoughts that begin to make you look at things differently. See, it it started with something in the heart and then you start looking at things differently. This is a tree to make one wise. How, Eve? How? You can tell when something goes awry in the heart. Because the same situations you've always had start looking grossly different. Yes, that's right. yeah. Just last week, you were like, I can do this in Jesus' name. I can conquer this in the Lord. I got this in the Lord Jesus. And now just a couple days later, I don't know why God does this to me. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know why it keeps happening to me. I don't know when I'm going to be free. As a shepherd, I know you got some mites in that ear. Some, some little mites and shepherds anoint oil on sheep's heads yeah. to remove all the mites out of their ears, the things that could cause sickness, illness, and even cause them to go crazy. Yeah. Right? Burrowing into their minds. So something happened to you between last week and this week. Some information you took in that then began to change your perspective. Now the one thing I love about those of us that wash ourselves in the word of God, <laughs> our perception is pretty keen. You could be blind as a bat. I'm like, there is a log right there. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. I don't see it. It is. (laughs) But when you trip over it, when you trip over it, you're going to know something was wrong. But get this. If you're still blind, you're not going to know what was wrong. You're not even going to recognize that there was a trap set before you. You're going to think it's something wrong with your legs. You're going to think it's something wrong with your feet. You're going to think it's something wrong with your coordination. But anybody that can see the spirit, there was a trap laid right in front of you. People watching the word ain't confused. We know exactly what happened, what went wrong, where your heart went wrong, what Satan planted, and why you tripped up. You over here, like, I didn't see nothing there. It must be me. I always had a bad left foot. I <laughs> always had a mind that did this. I always struggled with that. I always did those things. I always felt like that. This always happened in my life. It was there when I was young, it was there when I got older. It's always been like that. Whom the Son says free is. And in, in what? Indeed. Indeed. You shouldn't be tripping over nothing because you can see what happened. What happened? What plot did Satan plant in the heart? That then he created situations to look and match that deception of your heart. That's what we looked at on on last week. But God, and we talked about this on on, on Wednesday night. The the mystery and the marvelous mystery of God is that He can take what Satan has done, and He could use death. You ain't got to cheat to win. I can take that horrible story. I can take that tragic story of abuse. I can take those wounds. I can take those injuries. I can take all of it and not remove it. I'm going to heal it and use it to produce life. Now it's good soil for a good seed. Now it's very fertile soil for a very powerful word of God. Because we often think, well, God, that was so terrible. Why don't you just erase it from my memory? Why do you call you forgive and forget? You tell me to forgive and forget. Why doesn't he? Because it still stays as a part of our reality. Because now you can see the glory truly of who God is. See, if you never remembered what he did and how he did it and what he had to use to do it with, then even though you saw the miracle, you wouldn't praise it as a miracle. Come on. But if you saw that it was dead, four or five days dead, 20 years dead, 18 months dead, two years and 25 seconds dead, then you would recognize, you know what? He's a marvelous God. He's a mighty God. He's a wonderful God. He's a powerful God. He's an amazing God. And now praise erupts from you not as obligation, but you can't help but to look at what God has done and say, "Glory, Hallelujah!" God never intended for us to praise Him out of obligation. As a side note, in the Book of Psalms, He's some kind of narcissist saying, "Praise ye me, praise ye the Lord. Let everything that has breath, y'all better praise me." These are commands but he never intended for it to be out of obligation. Now, I don't know, but maybe you've had some good food. When my dad cooks for me, as Minister Hudson, I eat it, and the only thing, at first I say, whoa, that's good. Then I say, daddy. You did that. Daddy, you the best. Daddy, that is marvelous. Daddy, you are awesome. Daddy, you is number one, in my opinion. Praise is supposed to erupt from the idea that you look and taste what good God has done. And you can't help but say, mm-mm, that's good. Mm, mm, mm you're good. Mm, mm, mm. you're great. mm, mm, mm. you're marvelous. I end up praising God out of obligation. I better praise him before a pastor see me. When I see you, I'm not judging you. I'm evaluating what went wrong because I know your testimony. I'm trying to figure out why you can't praise him because I know, like, you know all that God has done for you. And I can't figure out what is so terrible now that you can't reflect upon all the goodness that God has done. I'm trying to think, what has happened? What has befallen you, dear loved one, that all of a sudden everything God has done, you can't even think about that because you're so overwhelmed. So I ask you, what's wrong? What happened? And most of the time, you can attest that you tell me the situation. And I don't give you the overwhelming feeling that this was good enough for you to be cast down you say well pastor this is what happened i just felt like this was going on i go "Mm." i understand you expect me to go what oh my god what are we gonna do how are we gonna make it i don't know what's gonna happen that is not gonna happen with me number one because i know who god is when you forget And I'm looking at this current situation going, I don't think that this is bigger than what he delivered you from over here. And if he delivered you from that over here, why are you cast down with this? Come on, children of Israel. If he delivered you from Pharaoh, why are you cast down? Because you ain't got no water. The God turned water into blood. I'm pretty sure he can make sure you got water in the wilderness. Something in your brain. Something in your passions and your desires. They wrestle within you because it's something you want so bad that it is blocking out every perception and view of all that God has done. Mm-hmm. Something you're so passionate about. Y'all yeah, ain't that passionate about it. I say it's, it's either or, either way. No. If it was so either way, then you would not be looking like this. You would not have your countenance down so low, yeah. making adjustments and changes and things that you know you ain't supposed to be touching. Hello? You know how you do. You be going around good path. And then you got a desire or a complaint against god and then you start readjusting stuff like maybe from now on i ain't gonna go to bible study well maybe i you know what i need to be a good sort of my time a good sort of my time i'm not gonna go to wednesday night i'm not gonna go to monday prayer you know that's funny because i was there when the lord delivered you from some mighty huge things. and if anybody could have my time he can have my time. Y'all don't want to help me today. If anybody can get my late nights, he can get my late nights. If anybody can make me tired in the morning, he can make me tired in the morning. If anybody can stress me out, you can stress me out, Lord. If anybody can stretch me, you can stretch me. No, we're not there yet. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. So last week we looked at passions. It was one of our latter verses that we that we've mentioned. Passions word passion is it's exactly what you think it is it's a strong emotion towards something that is greatly desired all right it has the idea in it that it is an enthusiastic desire something that is hard to get rid of God gave you a heart and he has placed you placed in you passions desires and dreams but unless these passions are under his control, they will be misused and abused or lie dormant and wasted. I will say that again. God has given you passions, desires, and dreams. And unless they are submitted under God, they will be misused, abused, or lie dormant and wasted. Right? What do I do with these passions, do I just ignore them? No, you better surrender those to the Father. You have to submit them under him, every passion. If you got a bad passion, that you already know what's gonna happen to that one. It's gonna go. If you got a good passion, then even that has to be submitted. One of the hardest lessons, one of the hardest lessons I ever had to learn in ministry was when my pastors challenged me to submit and surrender my most favorite passions of God. You're going to tell me I can't go preach? You're going to tell me I can't start the church? You're going to tell me I can't do the Bible study? You're going to tell me. But I feel God is burning. It's in my soul. I feel he wants to use me. Then you start looking at your pastor like they the devil. That's the devil just trying to stop me from my purpose. And please believe there's enough uh, parking like prophets out here to walk right up on you because they see that you are not doing everything that you were supposed to be doing. And they're going to tell you too. You ain't being used. That's the work of the devil. You ain't being used. That's the work of the devil. Because I know you got to call on your life. Uh, so does the pastor. But only one of us was called to shepherd you. Only one. Not multiple. Hello, somebody. And just like I had to do, you gotta be like, well, the pastor was right all the other times in my life, he was preaching, and that was good to me. God really led him by the spirit. on that word, that word, that word, that word and that word. It really got in there. Now all of a sudden, I feel like he's not hearing God., mm, let's check that. He was hearing God. Now, with this desire, I feel, I feel, I feel that he is not hearing God. See, because you consider that just because God says not now, that the answer is no. That's good, Pastor. That's good. It could be very well if you act up on this lesson, right? Most of the time, with Pastor Conine, it was just a matter of not now. And I was so glad. Because now when I think about it, my previous pastor probably should have said not now (laughs) but out of love and affection for me and seeing the call of God and possibly did you be able to use such a powerful uh, person within their own house because you know how people do Saul was told by Saul that he will call all the strong men to himself and sometimes leaders just want you cuz you're strong hello somebody cuz they know they see something in you and they feel like if I can get you to go with me then I can control what's in you and use it for my ministry and my purposes I don't know which one it was but I was told go forth I went forth and fell into a ton of sin, an overwhelming amount of sin to the point where I said, why, why I should have never been called, nor do I think I will ever be called to ministry again. So imagine my surprise when I get to Pastor Conan church after a couple years of healing, he says, come on, let's start working. I'm like, "What? I don't think so. By the time I got done working there and the Lord placed something on my heart and I said, Pastor Kona, I need to go. He said, no, not now. I said, okay. A year later, I said, Pastor Conant, it's been a year. Can I go? He said, yes. I said, wow. Wow. And I realized today that I was challenged with the same challenge that caused me to sin in the first place. A minister told me no. I got discouraged in my heart. I began to seek sin as comfort. That's good, Pastor. That's Hello? hmm And I said, oh, what have I done? It should not be sin that causes or ministry that causes me to remain sinless. It needs to be the love that I have for God. It should not be responsibility or obligation or title. It should be my absolute relationship with God, and I got that all wrong. That's good, pastor. Next time I was tested, look at this. And my pastor, the next pastor, Pastor Corn, I said, No. I knew exactly what I needed to do. What he said, the answer is no. He told me no twice. On the second one, I said, Lord. I feel like you really gave this to me. But if you don't move his heart, you know I can't go. I understood something that the Lord was trying to get me to recognize for a very long time. That if I gave you the passion, then every leader above you is going to have to respond to the passion that I gave you because I gave it to you. But you know how it is. Sometimes we're so used to fighting everybody that we don't know when to stop. You don't know when. This is not good for you. I'm taking up too much time on this point, but this is for somebody in this house. You're so used to fighting that you don't recognize this is not the person or the time that you need to be fighting. There's a different lesson that you have to learn, and it's not trying to keep your ministry. It's not trying to keep the purposes of God. It's not trying to keep what God has told you. Sometimes it's about sowing it, letting that thing die, go in that dirt, and then fruit, the right fruit, will come from it. But if you hold it like it's yours, you're going to kill it. You got to give it like it's his. You, if you gave this to me, then you're going to have to handle my pastor, not me. When you recognize that, you begin to move differently. Amen? I don't know who that was for, but ultimately, Satan is trying to use your heart to produce his will. The blessing of the New Testament in Christ is that we also get God's spirit. And that enables us to to fight a good fight, right? The Spirit of God warring against our passions, against our desires, right? And that may not look pretty. They ain't saved, no, they are saved, they're quarreling. They are saved, they're fighting. What are they fighting? Themselves, what they want, how they wanna handle it, what they wanna do, how they wanna feel. They're fighting within themselves. And if you're not careful, you'll take it personal. Why? Because you got your own issues. Yeah. Everybody coming against me. It seems like when I get a friend and I can't keep a friend. Oh, I don't know why people treat me like that. CT. No, 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 no. This is about something in you and not in me. And it's so clear. It's so clear because initially you're always afraid that the thing you used to do, the things you used to feel, that they're coming back up again. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what you're afraid of. And so, when God presents, hey, I'm looking at something, rather than surrendering it to the Father, hello, somebody, you have to defend that it's not there. And you will fight anybody before you start showing me what I, I know it ain't there. I know that's not me. I know that's not what I'm feeling. Mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. <laughs> it is there, baby. It's there. It's there. And it's all out of fear. And when you know God in the spirit of God, you recognize the person is being defensive because they are afraid. Oh wow! It's fear. And God's gonna have to have a way with their hearts because they're gonna have to surrender, and come what may. Let it be whatever's to be. That's hard, but it's necessary. I'm gonna show you some more as to why. Amen. So passion, as we can tell, is something that we can use to war against us. It's something that God gave us. But if it's not submitted to him, we'll misuse it and abuse it. And some of you might be in a situation where you're thinking, I'm not really that passionate about anything. Like, I don't... I mean, I like stuff, but I don't really know. I'm not like, oh, that's my passion. I will die if I can't do it. Uh," You know, some of us can't even find our one true passion, right? And if that's you... Do you know what I'm going to tell you? No. Number one, I ain't going to say it's me. (laughs) If you can't find your true one passion in life, you know what I'm going to tell you. You find yourself not passionate about anything, pretty much numb on all sides, don't want nothing bad, don't want nothing good, just whatever. Do you know what I'm going to tell you? The thing you don't think is a thing. You are disconnected from God. Because everything about God is passionate. Everything moves from him being love. Everything. If you were the ultimate epitome of loving and the epitome of strength and wisdom, I'm pretty sure you put those together. That's some very effective passion. Right? Everything God does with passion. You can tell because the children of Israel, when he brought him out, he'd be like, yeah, come on. I love y'all. This is great. What are y'all doing? Stop doing that. I can't stand y'all. Okay, I can't stand y'all. But for my own sake, I'm not going to kill you. All right? But we're going to have to work on this. You can tell that he has emotions and feelings, and he's trying to show them to you. But rather than you under- identify that he has the same feelings of rejection that you give him, the same feelings of hurt that you give him, the same feelings of shame that you try to give him, he has those same, you gotta act like, oh, you won't feel nothing, don't you, God? Cause if he felt something and that would trigger a part of your heart that you're not ready to give up, that's so good. That's it will hold you accountable in a way that you don't want to be held accountable to. Will bring down a wall where you have to really feel God and not yourself. You know what you do. You beat your own self up. So you don't, so God don't get to you. I'm gonna sit myself down. I'm for now on, I ain't gonna do that no more. And you just try to just beat yourself. Look at me, God. I'm getting myself, oh, I'm so miserable. I'm so terrible. I'm such a terrible person. He's like, that ain't doing nothing. But making the situation worse. You need to come on in my hands. Come on in my hands. The Bible tells us that, you know, to be in the hands of man is a tragic thing. It's better to be in the hands of God. But when you really done something wrong, you be like, put me in the hands of man. <laughs> Don't put me in the hands of God. Because <laughs> he gets in there. He can prove to you stuff that you know nobody else can prove, and you oh like yeah. it that way. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I know you do it to me. I'm like, no, that's there. No, it's not. I wasn't. Okay, fine. I could be wrong. I don't even care. But if I'm right, we will see this again. And number two, you're really denying what the Holy Spirit is trying to show you because that's what I'm here for. That's good, Pastor. So let's go around this mountain again, shall we? Let's go around it again. Some of y'all went around the same mountain so many times, only to go back when you finally see it and be like, every time it was that, oh my goodness. And I'll be standing there like. <laughs> finally, finally. <laughs> it's always day one. That's pride, no it ain't. That's rebellion, no it's not. That's rejection, no it's not. That's fear, no it's not. A Couple more years later. The same thing you just keep doing it 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 keep doing it, keep doing it. and you thinking no this is the problem everything else it's my lust it's my flesh it's my this you going all around the circles you know because you it really can't be what i said and every test you see it points right is it pointing all back to the thing that pa- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and until that's resolved you won't be free from the plots of satan do You understand from his plotting, you're gonna go to heaven. I'm not saying that you won't be free from that scheme. And who wants to fight the same war over and over and over again? Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> we done, we done came back and had five stories of victories. You still got the same. What you doing? Working on the same, working on the same. Is this is all going demon? Oh, you won't let me go. <laughs> just, you're working on the same, same demon, you know. Well, what pastor say? I don't remember what pastor said. Okay, I'm trying to survive. Oh. oh. And those that have had victories, so oh, you need to listen to pastor. Did you call pastor? Did you, if you can't, you're not hearing God because God doesn't want you to get the snot beat out of you. I know that for a fact. You need to get some wisdom put on this. You ain't got no wisdom. You need to get some wisdom, some anointing you need to put on that. You need to I'm call God, call the pastor, call somebody. But that ain't how it's supposed to go. You are supposed to be fighting the same doggone fight within you for years on end. If you're doing it for years on end, let's just be real. You missed something. You missed something, maybe a couple of things. But one thing we can know for sure, you can't find it. I wonder if the Lord placed someone in human form that might hear his voice when the voice of God in you is not that strong, that could watch for your soul and maybe determine what the spirit of God is trying to tell you all along that you keep rejecting. I wonder if they could actually manifest that to you. Similar to my situation with my pastor. At some point, I just had to surrender. And in that surrender, I recognizing I was recognizing I wasn't fighting any of my pastors. I was fighting God. Jesus. That's, that's who I really was fighting. And it came to where I realized, Lord, this is in your hands. This is the authority you put over me. If they say left, they say left. If they wrong, I know you're going to take care of it. But I ain't going to make it right by going right. Amen. Amen. That's good. It's just not how he works. I know you don't like it. But I'm pretty sure the God that created heaven and earth and all of his intricacies could take one lesson and work on the pastor, work on the church, work on the body of Christ, and work on you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's a, a a very great multitasker. Yeah. Right? In case you're wondering, it can't be that complicated. Oh, he can handle complicated. You cannot. You cannot. If you feel like I'm not really passionate about anything, I mean, I like some stuff, but I'm not really passionate, you know what I'm going to say? It means you're disconnected from God. You cannot be connected to God and dispassionate. When you are plugged into God, there's a quote from Rick Warren, it's like plugging into a power supply. You get passionate. You do. Some way, some form, and I know it because y'all don't even, y'all, some, everybody don't show passion the same way. Some people show passion, but they start coming to church more often other people show passion they start complaining about stuff wrong in the church and some people don't recognize that this ain't right that ain't right they need to do this I'm like mm-hmm and then the old people say pastor why are you time to shut up because they are passionate they caught the Lord and caught fire to their hearts we're gonna let that thing run I don't care do whatever they say that's fine look at that look at that look at that they on fire they on fire and you so busy worrying about offense and somebody's still in your place your position and your accolades that you don't even recognize that we are about to be blessed because one more soul is passionate for the things of god one more soul like god and love god and like this church just like you did one more soul becomes faithful and loyal just like you and It's a blessing to us all it's a blessing to us all it's a blessing to us all if you ain't me or minister uh, Monifa, uh, Minister Hudson, you ain't got no business correcting anybody else. You just you suggest it, and you move slap on. Some of y'all be trying to create situations and tests and conversations. Well, this i gonna do, girl. I'm gonna tell him this, but then I'm gonna watch this. See, who is you? Who was you? Well, I ain't gonna say everything because I, I know what they're gonna do. Because I'm I watch they're gonna do this. If I don't tell them everything, like, what what is you doing? What is you? You're making yourself messy. You're making yourself messy. trying to hide something you just need to let be exposed. Passions. Passions, Passions. Passions. similar to the kingdom of God, a passionate saint for the things of God is virtually unstoppable. The only way you can stop them is you got to get something in them, but there's nothing externally that can stop a passionate saint. Y'all don't hear me today. There's nothing externally that can stop a passionate saint. No mountain, no sea, no valley, no storm, no river, no cave, no, no trench, nothing. No enemy, no demon, no person, nothing external could stop a passionate saint of God. Not even death. The only way Satan could try to stop you. It's to plant something in you. You take that in as a part of you. And you produce his will. He says, you tired. I know I'm tired. I'm always tired because I'll be doing this, that, and the other. 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 this." Th- I quit, fruit. <laughs> There's something that the Father gives us, in case you're wondering, to help us work against some of the things that Satan plots in us. And plants in us. And that's meditation on God and meditation on the word of God. You say you tired? The Bible says in my weakness, God's strength is made perfect. I'll I'll take that. I'll take that. I'm glad I'm tired. I'm going to keep doing it so his strength can be made perfect. There's a verse and a scripture and an idea of God that directly combats every lie that Satan gives. It is your responsibility as a steward of a soul that you use it. Ain't nothing sadder than somebody getting a snot beat out of them. And refuse to put their hands up. Oh Lord. I don't know what to do. Put your hands up. I don't want to put my hands up. Put your hands up. I don't think I gotta put my hands up. Oh my God. Oh my God. And rather than fight back, you just sit there and complain about the idea that you have to fight. Oh Lord. You're gonna complain about the idea that you have to fight. Meanwhile, this snot is getting beat out of you. How about we look at the system of you getting into a fight after you finish this fight? Yeah. Yeah. Let's evaluate why we always got to fight. I'd be looking at you like, shut up, put your hands up. Because you was a discouraging little booger. No, I'm serious. I'm out here fighting you like, why we always got to fight? Why can't we just chill and relax? It shouldn't be that much of a battle all the time. And I'm like, and I'm blocking stuff from you. She don't know what she's talking about. And over here, you know. And it may not work on me, hello, but I know it works on your peers. You start getting them to question the system. You start getting them to question the things that are happening in their lives and, and getting them to question where they're planted and, and where they're going. You start getting them to question and they start putting their arms down. That's good, Pastor. Ain't nothing worse than somebody in the middle of a fight don't understand why we fighting. And you think you're gonna figure it out in the battle. You're not. You're not. You have to trust God. He says, duck left, duck left. He says, duck right, duck right. You're gonna have to, you gonna have, look, that's what you're gonna have to do. Worry about the rest later. It's above you. Yeah. It is above you. And maybe when you finish this fight, He might reveal why. Maybe. But, Minister Hudson, Brother Stefan, Cody, and all the other men in the house, huh? Tell me if I'm, because I look at men that box. I just look at men in general that, <laughs> that be, like <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> <laughs> be like, I'm, they be like, I'ma fight you. Like they say, you come from my family, I'ma fight you. They be like, ready to, poof, you know, they, be, I I, will, mm, mm, I wish you would. And they just so ready to just get into that fight. I mean, even if it ain't nothing noble, just what you say about me, fight, arms up, let's go. I'm like, it don't take much. I'm like, what, what, what part of your brain that you have that God only gave to female boxers that makes you say, you know what's the best for this? A fight. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's, what's the solution for this? A fight. Now, meanwhile, the women over here, we <laughs> we're like, you know what's best for this? We need to have a conversation. <laughs> We need to talk this out. <laughs> maybe a little yelling, maybe a little clapping. Okay, but we... we talk it out. The part of, of my brain that says that what we're going to do to solve this is put our fists up and the one standing wins, that is not there. No. No. <laughs> not initially. No. But in the spirit, it is very much oh, so there. <laughs> in the spirit, I would like knock them out. I don't care. Bust his teeth out. All day, every day. I ain't even gonna tell you I'm coming whoof, to sneak up on you all day. I'm gonna chase you behind you, be stuck in behind you like, oh, you ain't gonna see I'm here. booyah. <laughs> you know. I'm loving the fight. I'm like, yes, let's get him, let's get every demon. Who got my baby? I'm coming for you and everybody else around you. I just give me that sword with that blood on it, lick that blood and keep fighting. I love it. I love it. That's the only recognition I have about how men's brains work is oh, oh you like oh fight like that. Ah sometimes that's the only way to do it sometimes the only way to win is to actually fight Satan not run from him that's good. That's good. there are certain things you have to you have to stand where you can't do nothing else is that stand, having done everything else thing having done everything else This tells me that there's some other stuff I'm supposed to be doing. And you're going to stand when you ain't even put your fist up yet. You still got arms. You still got a gun. You still got something to use. And now I'm just going to stand still. No, fight, ninja, fight. (laughs) 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 If you know like I know, don't call me on a day that you don't want to fight. Sister Sierra will tell you, pastor going to slap you in your face, figuratively speaking, and make you fight the enemy. You know where I got that from? My mama. My mommy said, if anybody hits you, if you don't fight them, you're gonna have to fight me when you get home. So now when somebody tried to fight me, it was life or death. Oh, I'm gonna get my lick in. The one time somebody slapped me, a little boy slapped me in school, and I came home crying. The teacher sent a note. I'm thinking, mommy gonna be like, "Oh, he slapped you. You just, need, you just forget him." That's what she said. Why that boy slap you? I don't know. I was playing the game with some pennies, and then he decided to slap me. And then, he, what'd you do? I, t- I told the teacher that he slapped me. <laughs> you, you did what? I, I told the teacher. Then what? Then, then, then she separated us, and. She said, why are you ain't him back? Because I was trying to be like Martin Luther King. That's exactly what I told her. Because you know I mean, we've watch, we been watching the Martin Luther King documentary in class, you know. I was trying to be like Dr. King. Turn the other cheek. Nonviolence. Nonviolence. What you gotta hate is I maintained that in my Christian walk for a very long time. And it wasn't until Satan tried to destroy me that I recognized he does not fight fair. I'm like, no, you can just be passive and people will, will listen. Not with the devil they want. You can just use words and reason with them. Do you know when people are demonically inspired, reason does not work? Yeah, no, not I have talked to some of y'all being pushed by demons. I'll be like, this is common sense. I don't see it. I don't understand. I'm like, because it's the devil. Move out the way so I can hit on my 20-hit a on one good time. But if I say, Satan, the Lord rebuke you, why you got to call me Satan? I'm only going to be sa- Ugh, just. <laughs> just. Just move out the way. I'm going to go pray in my prayer closet. I'll be back. <laughs> Passions. Passions. Acts 1, verse 3. When you're there, say amen. Okay, very good. Acts 1, chapter 3. It's a great verse. talks about Christ and his crucifixion. Are you there? Say amen. Amen. I'm going to take one. We got to keep going. To whom also he showed to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom. Stop right there. Paul as the writer of Acts indicates that Christ's journey and and, you know, Christians all across the world celebrate that from the time that Judas had prepared to deceive Jesus to the time he was actually crucified, was Christ's passion. They call it that because of this verse, and it indicates, and passion is the word suffering. Oh, wow. Right. It's the Greek word for suffering or for torment from the word pati. In Latin, it's path or something else that's similar to enduring something. But ultimately, passion means suffering. And you could see that time and time again Anything you're passionate about that you can't have, you're going to have to have a season of suffering. you passionate about being a wife? Suffer in your singleness. you passionate about being a husband? Suffer in your singleness. If you don't suffer in it, if you don't suffer before you get it, you're going to suffer when you're in it. You're going to have to suffer to hold that flesh down. Suffer to hold your tongue. Suffer to love unconditionally. If you don't know how to do that before you get married, you are going to have a lot of suffering within your marriage. Especially if your spouse doesn't know how to do the same. You hold your tongue, they let their tongue fly. Ooh, somebody's suffering. You you got something bad happened to you, shut down all altogether. Now the house dirty, the kids ain't fed, you in the room locked up, depressed. You going to either suffer and figure that out now with God or you gonna to have to suffer within your marriage and your family might suffer Jesus. if you're so passionate about this individual then suffer hello mm-hmm. amen <clears throat> to whom he also showed himself alive after his passion by any by many infallible proofs the passion of Jesus reveals a wisdom that enables us to turn the tide from despair to empowerment in our own lives this is a quote by Cynthia Burgault it's a wonderful statement because it echoes what we looked at on Wednesday night it is the passion of Christ that empowers us by his spirit to take something dead in our lives and to believe and watch God bring it to life to take a horrible past and by the power of the Spirit of God turn it into a powerful testimony a wonderful way and a new direction in our life and in our family's lives that is the power of the Holy Spirit that was given to us. Christ's suffering that empowers us by the Spirit to be able to take some tragedy, right, by the Spirit of God, not be consumed in anger, bitterness, and doubt, but watch God grow that thing into something beautiful. Beauty for ashes, joy for sadness. Come on, somebody. And if you hold it, rather than trying to disconnect from it, you hold it by faith and hope that somehow God will use this. Somehow God will bless me with this. Somehow life could come from this in spite of. That's a work of the Holy Spirit that causes us to be able, right? To be able to hold on while the Lord does his work in us. That is a necessity for quarreling, to hold on. As a good soldier, maintain your ground. Keep moving with the same plan. That's what the Holy Spirit empowers you to do so that we all can watch the glory of God revealed in such a monumental way. We're going tell me your story again and what is God doing? Tell me that story again. And when I look at you, look at the story, look at you, look at the story, these two things, it just cannot be the same person. And you say, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. And we all go, mm mm, mm that's good. Yeah. Glory be to God. Oh, he's wonderful. Yeah. I never would have thought that of you. I never would have, I could have ever imagined that. I never would have even thought that. Some of you have testimonies, and, and by the time you came to me, the amount of strength you have in carrying that stuff, I'm like, look at God. I mean, you'd be like, I'm still losing, but, but you're here. I can't, even, I can't even get over the fact that through everything you went through, you still, by the power of God, have made your way to this church for further healing. For continued healing. Because I look at you and go, how did you make it? How did you sustain this injury? How did you keep the faith? How did you still believe? How did you keep going? My God, mm, mm, he's good. And I celebrate it. You over there counting what ain't right. I be like, but look at what is. My God, look at what is. Look at what is. I celebrate the small victories. Well, at least you. Well, at least you. Well, at least you. Because I see Satan's hand. And how he's buffeting you. And I also see that you have no idea. But I see God's hand even stronger. And you're still producing fruits of godliness even after such a hit. You over here, I'm not going to celebrate. You better celebrate. Oh, you better praise the Lord. Quit counting up what ain't right yet and start counting up all the things that is good. You better praise him for what's already been done. You better praise him for what you know he's doing. Why ain't you celebrating? Oh, yeah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, Lord. Jesus certainly lived in a very intense way. The ordeals of betrayal, abandonment, homelessness, and death. Did it have to be like that? Probably. If we were indeed here on a divine mission, it would seem that he could have been given an easier career path. You know, make him a, a chief priest. Make Jesus a political leader. Something that would have made people accepting him as Messiah a tad bit easier than some random born in Bethany, in Nazareth, that was born in a manger amongst animals. No formal training as a rabbi. No sect of Sadducee or Pharisee to say that he he ascribes to. No one in his lineage that works as a, as a, as a priest. His daddy was no priest working in the temple. Who, who is you, Jesus? But none of those opportunities materialized. Why not? Because the path he took, the path he'd walk, is precisely the one, is precisely the one that would most fully unleash the transformative power of his teaching. Wow. I need you to let that settle in for you for just a second. Could it be that the reason he didn't let you do this, be that, go there, all the things that would have made it simpler and easier, more easy to stay as a Christian more easy to become a minister more easy. Could it be that the reason he didn't, he didn't allow your life to take the easiest path, but allowed the path that Satan had plotted to be fulfilled for one thing, one thing that these opportunities could also be the path that he decided that you would walk, that you would have the most fulfilling and transformative power in your testimony. Well, y'all can think of the coulda, shoulda, wouldas. All God had to do was lift this. All God had to do was change this. All God had to do was turn this. And even with me in the passing of my mother, which is a horrible experience this week, I could say there's probably just one reason that the Lord chose this path for me because it is precisely the one that would most fully unleash the transformative power of his teaching. The top of this year, mostly since mommy passed, we have seen the power of God move like never before, even before we first started this church through teaching and not necessarily through miracles. The first years, couple of years of this church, we saw miracles in power. The latter years we just saw teaching, 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 Holy Spirit empowerment, teaching, teaching the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. These circumstances that were not easy, the worst kind imaginable both molded and consecrated the eye of the needle this is a wonderful quote the eye of the needle that each of us must personally pass through in order to accomplish the one thing necessary to die to self Christ's horrific experience perfectly molded, the very tight, narrow door that you and I have to always walk through in order to do the one thing necessary in life. In order to have that one passion, you've got to walk through a very narrow door where nothing else can go with you. No other desires, no other passions, no other longings can go through with you. It's too tight. And that tightness was established by the very difficult path that Christ walked. Because if it was easy, you wouldn't make it to heaven because you'd be trying to take every other passion with you and you can't go in with that. If it was easy, then you'd be trying to take every other desire with you and you can't get in with that. If it was easy, then you'd try to take everything you wanted with you and you personally cannot go in with that. So what if the path that Christ walked also was a path that you had to walk to guarantee that you saw him face to face? Your path is very tight for you and mine is very tight for me. If we're going to go to heaven, everybody got to cross through it, go through that eye of the needle, slip right in there with no room to spare. You might have baggage that is uniquely the challenges in your life were uniquely designed for you to shed. You saw them, you saw, you saw what you were born into. You saw how you were raised what you had to go through what you had to deal with and what if all of that horrible trauma for some of us was a necessity because everybody in your family always had too much baggage right that they kept their baggage to the very last days accepted Christ fully then went to heaven and what if God decided to give you your needle Very early in life, at a young age, maybe, maybe, maybe he gave it to you when you were younger that he might use you while you're young and not wait for it when you're old. You ain't sitting on the bench going, I know God is good. Now you about 85 years old. God is good. God is good. We've been knowing that, but what if he gave it to you right when you were young to make sure that you can get all that stuff shred right off your back, get all that stuff off your life, get that mess out of your mind, get that stuff out of your heart that you might be powerful in your younger days. In your youth, it says, I call the young because they are strong. and the old because they are wise. In this day and age, we don't need old wise as much as we need young strong. I tell people, people that want to be pastors, I said, do you know anything about the internet? Do you know how to do a, a Facebook post and a blog? Do you know how to set up cameras? Do you know how to, write a, to make a web page? Do you know how to play the drums, play the piano, run a track? Do you know how to preach and teach a sermon? Do you know how to counsel and then run a calendar? Do you know how to write a sermon and a series and then preach it? Do you know how to go with the children to the Chuck E. Cheese, go with the seniors to the golf course, go to the hospital, go to the bedrooms? Do you know how to do all of those things? Because that is what it takes to be a pastor in this day. Yeah, yeah. I'm 65. I'm ready to be a pastor now. Ooh. Maybe the Lord say, be a pastor in a congregation. Because a thriving church requires so much strength. Yeah. And when you first start out, you don't have everything that you need coming from somebody. Yeah. Which means it's up to you. You ain't got no media person when you first started. We had no, no band, no musician, even though we don't have it now. But that's not the point. <laughs> We didn't even understand how to take tracks and just no, no vocals. We didn't even know that was a thing. Y'all just sing with the song. Just go up there and just sing with the song. I'm going to play the drums. I got you. I got you. We had no media tech. It was me. Drums, media tech, then preach. That's what I did. Turn the sound up. All right. Turn the sound off. Amen. Turn it back on. Put my mic on. All right. And Jesus said, uh, that's how we first started. Literally year one. Minister Monifa be up here singing a solo, her and Jewel. Now, do they sing up here at all? No. That's how you know we had nothing. Because out of the seven of us that started this church, they was the best singers. Bear in mind that the seven people that started this church, none of them are on the praise and worship team. That will tell you. You got to be a lot of stuff to start a church. Passion, passion says there's no external obstacle that cannot be overcome. Passion says I will not stop until I win, or the Led says so. That's what passion says. Passion is a point of love and affection. It's not of duty and responsibility, although those things are in it. Those are not the best motivators for humans. He made that very plain, right? It's not good that man is alone. That lets you know communion, love, and affection is a necessity for human life, not food. Not food. Think about it. Last time you got heartbroken, I can't even eat. See? Told you. Told you. It's affection. It's communion, right? Those are necessities for human beings. The last time you pulled back and was you know, introverted to yourself for a season, how'd you feel? Miserable. We get you over here, I'm like, no, just come on in. I don't know, come on in, I don't know. Come on in, mm, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit. And I gotta bring your attention to, how does that feel? Right now, not so bad. But I think you want me to go way up there, I do. Mm. come on shut off some of that stuff get rid of some of that baggage come on go through this narrow way so that God might really use you while you're young That's good, and I mean young because you can still stand up if you can still stand up I consider you young okay can you can you move mother Maddie the only one that we can say she's a senior mama Jean she older than you you can't even call yourself a senior mother Maddie trumps all of the mothers in the church she's the only one that say I get to sit down the rest of y'all You get up and you walk around Wednesday nights and you stand in the line for the testimonies. Pastor, don't let nobody be old. I did, now you can say I do, one person, Mother Maddie. She's the only one we gonna allow being old. Passion. In Christ's passion of abuse and abandonment, rejection, Torture and humiliation, his passion molded something for us that gave us an empowerment to walk through things that, we, that only passion could push us through in. You know when your passion is not of God when you sin. You know it off the top. The passion that you're operating in did not come from the Lord. The way he's using your love, you're misusing it. The way he gave it to you, you're abusing it you know off the top when it calls you to sin right because passion that is submitted to god causes you to move very forward and very holy in the kingdom of god out of passion you see him on the cross you carry the dying of the of lord jesus in your body yeah. every time you want to say oh this is too bad he'd be like oh no one bad is that i'm gonna go ahead and keep going thank you jesus we have not resisted the bloodshed right and he makes it very clear now christ's passion I want to show before we go, I've got 30 minutes left to show you before we leave, how that causes passion in us in three different stages. Let's first start in Luke chapter seven, verse 36. Luke chapter seven, verse 36. If you've been in church for a long time, you've probably heard the story of the woman with the alabaster box. C.C. Wannins did a lovely rendition of that song, you know. my It's such a beautiful song. The story is of a woman that approaches Jesus with an alabaster box and she takes it and, and she washes his feet with her tears and uh, wipes his feet with her hair and then pours oil on his feet. It's a beautiful story. What I'd like to show to you is the idea that most theologians believe that this particular story happened on three different occasions. Three different occasions, not the same story. Now I knew of two of them being this being different. And the third I thought was the same as the first only to find out in detail. It is not right. So now we recognize that the story of the alabaster box happened on three different women. All right. Came to present oil. At Jesus' feet. Pastor said something I did not even know. See, now I'm awake. Uh huh. <laughs> All right. Most scholars attest that there is more evidence to say there are three different women than there were just two different women in occasions. All right. But everybody knows it was more than one. Make sense? All righty. I believe that there were three, and these are three different occasions, and I'm going to tell you why. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table. And behold a woman of the city who was a sinner when she leaned, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him this is a key indicator here at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him. Now bear in mind, this Pharisee said to himself. The Pharisee said to himself himself. If he knew, if he really was a prophet, if he knew who this woman was, he'd he know that he's a sinner. And now verse 40 says, and Jesus answering something that you said to yourself. It happens so often where the Holy Spirit will answer something that you said to yourself. You he go, now what are you doing? I didn't even say that out loud. How you going to think that was me? Because it was, you said it to yourself. The saints in the house say, Pastor, always answering questions that ain't nobody said out loud. Like, who you arguing with, Pastor? I'm arguing with you, the inside voice of you. That's what I'm arguing with. (laughs) Jesus answered him to his insides and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors who owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards, toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered her house, and you gave me no water to my feet, for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears, and she has wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you her sins, which are many are forgiven for she loved much, but he who was forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? They said it among themselves. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Christ answers the question of the Pharisee, Simon, that's challenging who he is. Y'all don't want to help me today. Because there are things that God allows in your life that make you go well if it was God then he would y'all don't want to help me today and if it is God then he would these are complaints that you are rising up in order to sit figure out who God is some of them are legit i want to know you and some of them are just bogus complaints cuz something did not go your way and the Pharisees heart was already trying to prove ways that he was not God so this was a wonderful example right because if he would have known He wouldn't let this sinner, all right, a euphemism for for prostitute, come in here. You going to let the prostitute kiss your feet? Suspect. (laughs) Kind of shindig y'all running over there. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus replied to this inner question that he asked. It's a story that says if you've been forgiven much, you love much. If you've been forgiven little, you love little. Oh wow! Now, 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 let's, let's back up. I personally don't think that any woman or man says, "When I grow up, I want to be a prostitute." No, no, no. no. I, I can't fathom that because there's something about giving your body on a consistent basis for monetary gain or survival that does not initially start as a, as a way to live. Yeah. Yeah. Now, after life has hit you with several difficult blows, do you understand? Maybe it's possible, in order to survive, you might develop the mindset, a coping mechanism, that says you'll do a little strange for a little. But this is after life done, done tore you down. Now no, ain't none of my members former prostitutes. So they say, but I know some baby mamas and hello, somebody, some baby daddies. Hello, somebody that might have done a little entertaining for a little cash. You understand what I'm saying? You would never admit it. I know, I know, I know, but gold diggers got to be somewhere. Hello, somebody, because the man ain't making it up. You knew when you got into that relationship, that was not the one you tried to convince yourself that it might be just so you didn't feel bad about what you was about to do. Now you can fool the man, but you can't fool another woman. You play with the idea just temporarily that it might be something in this so that you won't feel the guilt of plotting out this plan to get as much as you can from this situation. Now, the funny thing is you're going to say, that's not what I was doing, but everybody watching said, that's exactly what you're doing. Exactly what you're doing. And I bet you that he even thought about it too. But said to himself, Well, might as well get something I can from this situation, just in case that's what she's doing. Yeah. You got something you're willing to give up to get what you want, and he's got something he's willing to give up to get what he wants. And everybody's playing this game, and everybody's wrong. And the only way to know in this exchange of meeting of needs and desires some unlawful passions the only way to know if it really is love is somebody has to suffer Somebody has to suffer, and somebody has to be with you while you're suffering. And the other person gotta be with you while you're suffering, and they gotta suffer while you with them while they're suffering. And everybody is challenged on will you stay with me when I no longer give you what you want, do what you want, act the way you want, say what you want? If I don't do what you say and need, will you cut me loose? That's good, that's good. That's good. But y'all get to the suffering part of relationships and be like, that's why this ain't gonna work you knew it wasn't going to work from the jump. Because when you go into a situation thinking, I I really want to fall in love with this person, that's exactly what you do. That's exactly what you do. Exactly. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Love forgives all, believes all, trusts all. So if you go into it and say, I want to fall in love with this person, you look like an idiot. For trusting and believing and forgiving and forgetting for unconditionally loving and making compromises, adjusting and maneuvering. But you still feel like you're gonna make make, make me look like a fool. We all knew it wasn't love. You knew you weren't prepared to have your life completely changed by this individual. we all say i was never no prostitute Mm-hmm. we'll just call you a sinner and he said i don't know what y'all said but i can i'm gonna stay focused mm-mm, mm-mm. i don't want to know don't say it loud i'm gonna keep focused mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. to all of our podcast listeners the entire church has an inside joke that i am unaware of and I can't even share it with you because I don't even know it. But we don't want to know it because we, the podcast listeners, like myself, we're going to stay holy. We're going to stay holy. So Simon the Pharisee said if he would have known what kind of woman she was, he wouldn't have let this happen. And Christ began to say she loves much because she recognized she's been forgiven much. Now, we'll go back to this prostitute example, all right? It's a little strange for a little change, all right? Let's look at this. No one goes into the idea that I want to grow up and be a prostitute. It must be some very tragic situations that have happened in your life. Yeah. Yeah, Lord. Some very difficult situations you might have been born into, you've fallen into. So that means you have done much, sinned much, because much has happened to you. Yeah. Yeah,
1: There's yeah, yeah. yeah. a lot of
0: suffering that has happened to this young woman. And through that suffering, a lot of sin has transpired through all this much sin much forgiveness and much love let's do it again i think you missed it this woman is known to christ as one who loves much more than a man raised in the church of god and as a pharisee more than a man has dedicated his life more than a man that has dedicated his life to studying scripture and to ruling in the kingdom of god and to serving as a jewish leader that she would say christ would say this woman loves me more than you do oh my god. Wow. I'm, I, 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 I got two more stories to go to and i'm not even there How in the world does he figure that this woman who's been sinning up most of her life to the point that everybody knows she's got a reputation, loves you more than the man that said, I'm gonna be a Pharisee and grow up my entire life within the law? Jesus, that's good. Now watch this. If she loves much because she's been forgiven much, and she's been forgiven much because she sinned much, and she sinned much because she suffered much. So you think that all of that torment you went through You think that all them years that you were hurt, you think that every night that you cried, you think that every trial and tribulation that came to you, it came to rip you from your faith. No, it was just your eye of the needle that God was designing that you might be forgiven much because he always had a plan to forgive you of every sin. And if I could forgive you of much, I know that you will do what? Love much. He is not intimidated by your mistakes. He allowed that needle to be shaped, that you might drop off baggage, knowing all along that he was prepared to forgive you of every last one of them. And he looked into your heart and said, when I forgive her, when I forgive him, they're going to love me much. This is your challenge. This is where the Satan tries to stop you. Because you look at all you went through and all you did and all you went through and all you messed up and all you went through and all you didn't get right and you stay over there rather than look at all that God has forgiven, all that God has cleansed, all that God has renewed and all the love that I have and all the love that I have and all the love that I have have for this man. All the love that I have for this mighty man of God who is God himself. Sit, 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 sit. You look at your past and go, why would God let that happen to me? He looks at your past and then looks at you and go, you're exactly the kind of person that can handle it. And I am prepared to justify you. <sighs> he came in the flesh that we might be justified. I know what it's like to be human. And I know what happened to you and how this is a byproduct of that thing and I'm prepared to forgive all of it and to say it's just and to use it to bring life to that testimony and use it for the glorification of God that's glorification that's justification and that's sanctification three major concepts of salvation you're looking at your past going, why me he's looking at going you just the right one because there's somebody out here that had a story similar to yours that are not gonna walk into the kingdom. Had a story similar to yours that became an atheist. Had a story similar to yours where Satan beguiled them. They did not choose hope or life or truth. Beat them up so bad that they didn't seek anything beyond just trying to survive, but not you. Somehow, you orchestrated paths in your life, created a whole church in the backwoods of nowhere. To make sure that you found it, that you might be with a pastor under the anointing of God that can see your entire past and show you how God's gonna resurrect to new life your whole being. Gonna show you that all you went through is not for nothing, gonna show you how God wants to use it. Gonna say, You better love him, you better love him, you better love him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. you know, because some of these other them them soft preachers they'd be like oh this happened to you go get therapy and then just try your best And you come into my counseling sessions what happened let's pray oh my god that's terrible Jesus all right now let's fight let's go let's go let's fight what you don't want to just tell me that for the rest of my life I'm gonna be dealing with this and it's gonna always be a struggle and I'm always gonna have to you know watch this and part no <laughs> no <laughs> no that's not it at all and y'all be like no but pastor be honest I'm gonna struggle with this for the rest of my life no I'm honest you won't. And Minister Hussler looking at me like, people don't really say that, they do. <laughs> See? <laughs> they really think after all they've been through for so long, that it's more likely that they will continue to have to go through this. They might fight it but win more, but they always gonna have to fight it. And then they come to me and I say, We're gonna fight him. On one good battle and we gonna win and our enemy gonna be utterly destroyed and we will we'll cut his head off he'll never come up again we'll slice them all and even if his little cousins try to come back we'll stomp them all down to the ground so you trying to tell me I will never have to deal with this again absolutely I believe 100% that the power of God and the Spirit of God in you will make sure that you are a new creature and you know how to stand within the kingdom of God but weaker teachers are scared to say that because this means they would have to endure believing that every time you mess up because if I tell you you're gonna be free and their reputations on the line and you keep messing up uh maybe you'll be free when you get to heaven you know they really don't <laughs> but for a pastor to say I believe God's gonna free you from this and you'll never have to deal with that every time you mess up we still got to be like you still gonna get free You you still gonna get free? Uh, Ain't no quitting. Get up, get up. Okay, I'll move your hands for you. Fight, 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 fight. Get up. I want to quit. Get up. I want to stop. Get up. And every time by the Spirit of God you get up, we one more step closer to the battle that will kill this enemy. One more, one more, one more, one more, one more. I got to tell people, do it again. Do it again. Do it again, resist again, fight again, go to church again, pray again, baby, do it again, baby, do it again, baby, believe again, baby, hope again. It takes strength of the spirit of God to be able to declare that in somebody's life when even they themselves are giving up. That's what leaders in the body of Christ are called to do. To see you by the spirit and not by the flesh. To know the inner workings of the Spirit of God, even when you don't even know if he's still working in you. To affirm for you that there's still hope and winning after this. That's why many pastors don't say that. They say, you might have to fight all your life, but you just keep fighting and God is good. I say, if you have to fight, be prepared. But no matter what, we're going to win. And in my opinion, we're going to win this sooner rather than later. And you'll tell me you'll fall one day. And I say, but we might win on this one. This might be the one. Get up. This might be the last time you got to get up again. I'd be so excited. You fall. You come back. You you up. Hallelujah. This this might be the last time you got to get up again. Is it? I don't know. But it's worth a shot. Let's be ready. Let's be ready. You might have learned in this one to hit left, like I said. And you hit left. And that be the only thing left that the enemy could ever trick you with. There's always one that he's holding on to. One lesson that God is trying to get you to obey and to do. And it's always the one that renders so much and agrees so much with your whole identity. And even that, you have to turn over. For me, it was ministry. You can't take ministry away from me. Oh, they took it away from me. Bump this church. (laughs) For you, it might be children, it might be marriage, it might be no longer having to worry about bills, might be healing of your body, I don't know. But it's that one piece that Satan knows you can't let go of that he then attaches every lie to. That's why you've got to be able to let it all go. I'm going to show you. So this woman, right, her faith made her whole, right? She came from behind Jesus. He was laid at the table. You know, you put your feet behind you like this, you're laying down like that. You know, he came from behind him. She came from behind him like that. and, and So she never, he never really saw her face to face when she first walked in right she just knelt behind him trying not to disturb and cried and her tears washed the dirt off his feet what i love about this is she just took her hair which means that she had to undo her hair now when a woman in the book of leviticus leviticus and numbers and deuteronomy commits adultery the bible says that they're to let their hair down in order to go to the priest he would let her hair down and give her the cup of of adultery the bitter cup If she drunk it and she was committing adultery then her thigh would rot but the process that she would go to the priest he would let her hair down and she would take this cup of shame and adultery the idea that this sinning woman has come to jesus cried her tears let her hair down is understanding i have sinned and the only way that i could be restored is through you and tears shed constantly from her eyes do you know how much tears you have to cry to wash somebody's feet yeah. do you know how big feet are you gotta cry you gotta cry a lot of tears <laughs> this was an ongoing process and i'm sure people was looking at jesus looking at her trying to pay attention and jesus was like yeah my kingdom you know here are like what so we're supposed to act like this woman ain't over here crying. crying on your feet jesus <laughs> <laughs> We all just supposed to play this as normal this must happen a lot huh i don't know he says, she never ceased crying and never ceased kissing my feet. Now, one verse he says was strategic. He says, if you knew who I was, you would have washed my feet, anointed my feet and my head with oil, but you did not. That's an interesting fact. Let's go to the second case. It's found in John chapter 12, verse 1. John chapter 12, verse 1. While you're going there, I'm going to list in the podcast for you. Some key indicators why these two stories are of two different people. As you go to John chapter, what did I say? 12. 12. In the first anointing in Luke, it was Simon the Pharisee's house in Galilee that they went to. At this point, John the Baptist is still alive, so this one could not have happened at least two years before the crucifixion. So it had to have happened at least two years before the crucifixion. Uh, the woman came from behind Jesus, a sinner, probably considered a prostitute. Indeed, there's no mention of the anointing on his, of his head. And he wiped her feet with her hair and washed it with her tears. That's all in the first example. When we get to the second washing, let's let's read that. Are you with me? I'm going to skip through a couple of verses for time's sake because I am out. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, not Galilee. That's one big difference. Came to Bethany where Lazarus was whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her, what, hair. It's a completely different situation. This is Mary, the sister of Martha, And Lazarus, the same Mary that when Martha was, Jesus told, Martha told Jesus, Jesus, make my sister come in and help me with this Passover dinner. He said, No, she's doing exactly what somebody should do, and that's sit at my feet and in my presence to hear these teachings. That same Mary, after sitting at his feet year after year, sermon after sermon, encounter after encounter, has just recognized, because just prior to their entry into Bethany, Jesus just said, that when we get to this Passover, I'll be turned in and crucified. Now they're at Lazarus' house. The Lazarus that was raised from the dead. Yeah. Yeah. Mary is his sister. Yeah. Mary was the one that said, Jesus, if you would have been here, I knew my, my, my brother wouldn't have had to die. Yeah. Yeah. He said, believe in the resurrection. I do, he'll resurrect at the end, but if you was here sooner, we won't have to go through all that. Yeah. He said, fret not. You'll see your brother again. She's like, in resurrection, no, you'll see him. Just never mind. Just come with me to the tomb, all right? So she's the same one that understood the power of resurrection, that understood that in the future she will see her brother again, but she is overwhelmed by the pain of this current situation. And Jesus decides not to be lofty and prideful, just wait and see, but to join her in her suffering, get to Lazarus' tomb, and even Jesus begins to cry. Something is happening here, all right? Now, when he gets to Bethany, which is just a few miles from Jerusalem, all right, they sit down at dinner at Lazarus' house. Jesus is trying to explain to the disciples, when we go for this Passover, it's going to be my last. I'm going to be crucified. Please, know, None of the other disciples even appear to have an inkling that this is true. Right. Okay? First, Jesus' feet was washed by a sinner who was forgiven much, then loved God much. Now he's being washed by another disciple. Yes, Mary was a disciple, set at his feet, in case people wanted to know, okay? Now he's being washed by another believer, and she is a true believer because nobody else is believing that he's going to be crucified but her. And she's looking at these feet that she's always looked at week after week, day after day, and she's recognizing, you're going to leave me because every time you say something, that's exactly what happens. You told me I would see my brother again, and I did. When it comes to death, you say it, it happens. If you tell me you're about to be crucified, I know for a fact this is gonna happen. And being one that is gripped in grief, I could say to you, the mere agony of having to recall your own brother. See, that's the thing. Even though Lazarus was resurrected, the memory of that trauma is still with you. You, you understand what I'm saying? That's why God don't have to erase the past. He's going to use the path. And now you're going to see the power of God and believe when no other disciple is really understanding what's going to take place. You will. Why? Because you suffered much. You suffered much. Lazarus got up, but you cried. You hurt for four days. The worst pain you ever had. And then Jesus cried with you. And he said, now get up. And Lazarus came out. And ever since then, they've been trying to kill Lazarus because a lot of Jews were believing because of his resurrection. But she knows the pain of watching Jesus die. She watched her brother die. They told him, it took him four days to get there. That means everybody saw him die. We're going from sick to dead. She had to experience that, the pain of it, to bear it all. Ugh. So when Jesus says, I'm going to be crucified, she knows. She goes and gets oil. She lays before his feet. She wipes, takes her hair down also and wipes his feet with her hair. She's not crying. She's cleaning his feet. She takes oil. She pours it on his feet. And she sits there and she loves on Jesus, right? now in the heart the house was filled with fragrance of that perfume but Judas Iscariot one of the disciples who was about to betray him said why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor he said this not because he cared about the poor but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag he used to help himself to it what was put in it Jesus said leave her alone So that she may keep it, that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you'll have with you always, but you do not have me always. Jesus is trying to get them to recognize, let her keep it. She anointed my feet with the oil. Now, this is nobody is really complaining too tough. All right? That's how we know it's not the prostitute, because they be like she came. She walks right in front of Jesus, kneels down at his feet, then wipes. You don't understand what I'm saying? She pours the oil, then Judas Iscariot is says, "Uh-uh, me wasting that oil like that. We could use that in ministry." Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, Judas, ministry, right? right? Wait, wait. As, as if they're saying, "Give me that oil. That's enough. Quit using it all on feet." And Jesus says, "Let her keep it, for she has kept this." For my burial now do y'all know the end of the story fast forward to the end of the story when jesus is, is crucified and put in the tomb mary and the other women come with oil come with oil come with oil the same oil that you wash his feet with they're coming with the oil to prepare his body for burial hold on hold on that one word that Jesus says to her and the other disciples was enough for her to know while everybody else is crying, everybody else is running, and everybody else is fleeing. He told me to be a good steward of this oil, yes. and what I need to do is take this oil and go to his grave site, and I need to tuck that tomb and oil his body. Yes. How are we going to oil his body? The tomb going to be too heavy for us to roll away. I don't know, but we're going to go. She's got obstacles in her mind. For everybody else, that obstacle was enough. The soldiers on guard, big old tomb, stone rolling in front of the tomb. We can't get in. Anyway, I'm too sad, too heartbroken, and too confused. But not Mary. She remembered. He said for me to keep it for his burial. Now, when she got there to pour the oil that she kept for his burial, he was not There. Yeah. he was not There. Yeah. he was not There. Yeah. this means that the anointing that god gave you was just enough to get you to see the forgiveness and the power of god you didn't even need to anoint his body but because you were obedient you were the first person to preach the gospel our savior is not there he has risen and he is alive That one act of obedience, taking seriously what Christ says when he says it. What are you talking about? I don't know. Burial or something. I don't know. But she took it seriously when he said he's going to be crucified. She took it seriously when when he said, this is for my burial. And in the midst of all her grief, and I know how hard that is, especially when the men folk running around with chickens chickens with the head cut off, she's like, focus. Let's get to the tomb. Anoint his body. And wow. What a glorious day. What a glorious day. And I'm inclined to think that everything flooded in her as she went from the tomb to go tell the other disciples how her her brother got up. And understanding that if I had to suffer and my brother had to suffer the pain of actually dying, then I could see how Christ himself is going to have to be crucified. If he let me experienced the resurrection of my brother then I could see how he himself will have to take care of death on his own this was something that she was intuitively connecting by the Spirit of God so she knew when the, when a man and the angel the white clothes say he, he ain't here she was like I know he, he is not I, I thought I was going crazy but now you said it he ain't here ain't nobody take his body he is up who is Jesus you up hey this is so wonderful yes so now we have a believer anointing his feet amongst all the disciples she was believing that this crucifixion was going to take place and she had prepared in her heart that this pain was going to have to happen right let's look at the third and last choice before we go all right story before we go let's go to Matthew chapter 26 Matthew chapter 26 is very similar to the account in Luke right excuse me, Matthew, is very similar to the account in Mark. In Matthew chapter 26, as you're turning there, I'm going to give you some of the differences that we covered in the second anointing um, that we just covered. The anointing was it was Mary, not some unknown woman that was a sinner. We know she was Mary, Lazarus' sister, and sister of Martha, not a prostitute. And this happened just before his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. It probably occurred at the house of uh, Martha because she was the one that was serving. Uh, and Peter, uh, she anointed Jesus' feet only and approximately six days before the Passover, right? So it's a few days before the triumphal entry and six days before the Passover. Apparently out of respect, people knew Mary. They didn't tell her to stop doing what she was doing. And then afterwards, Judas was like, give me that oil now. He's wasting it, all right? Now let's look at, um, what did I say, Matthew? Matthew? Matthew 26 Matthew 26 all right verse 2 says you know that after two days of Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified go down to verse 6 now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of who Simon the leper Uh aha so we got Simon the Pharisee Mary Lazarus his sister and now Simon the leper A woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he was reclined at the table. At this point, when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? Stop right there. When they first questioned the waste of this oil situation, it was with Mary, because Mary is a disciple, you should be giving all the expensive stuff to us so we can use it for the ministry. What are you doing holding on to it, right? No one said anything but Judas Iscariot, right? right? By the time we get to Simon, the leper's house, all the disciples are complaining. What do you think just happened? You know, because that's how it do, ain't it? (laughs) One man say, this ain't right. And then there's murmurs all within the ministry about what ain't right and what ain't going on. And ain't, this ain't supposed to be like that. And how did they gonna say this? And she's gonna keep that oil? And she knows she wrong for that, and just waste it, it could be used for something. Now everybody is indignant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All his disciples are now indignant from one seed that Satan has sown, and they left it there. Y'all don't want to help me today they left they heard it and they left it there nobody said you are a liar and a fool if he said nobody challenged it nobody said get that out of here nobody said that's Jesus he knows exactly what to do no one else said anything against it and that thing stayed there you think because you're indifferent that that seed wasn't planted That's good. because you didn't say nothing that you didn't receive that seed and when somebody else goes to pour that oil you have been bit by the same bug and now you're just as indignant of this waste another they're so indignant that all of them are are complaining to christ right? right interesting change yes but jesus aware of this said to them why do you trouble this woman for she has done a beautiful thing to me for you always have the pour with you but me not all you will not always have me and pouring this ointment on my body she has done it to prepare me for burial she has done it to what? Prepare me for burial. The previous example, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial, was Mary. The day of his burial will be after he was crucified, which is where she went. This woman, he says, leave her alone, right? She has done it to prepare me for my burial. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mary was there in keeping her oil for his actual burial. That's after he died. This woman is now here to prepare him just days before his crucifixion, yeah. to prepare him for his burial. She's coming to anoint his head with oil. Now Luke adds one caveat to this particular verse and it's very interesting luke says the same stuff but when it comes to her approaching uh, jesus with this oil it says that she breaks the alabaster box and pours it over his head and his feet Pouring it over the head was what Jesus said the Pharisees should have done because anointing a man's head, he's a priest and a king. Y'all don't want to help me today. And this woman knew that he was king of all and priest of all. And she came and broke the alabaster box. I like to call this young woman a true disciple she's no longer a believer she's a disciple and let me show you why when she brings the oil like the other women she has the oil in an alabaster box you don't have to break the alabaster box in order to pour the oil alabaster is a very thin type of marble it's like marble but more malleable it looks like marble but it's softer now it has a long neck it's a jar more than a box okay so everybody else is pouring 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 this woman walks up to Jesus breaks the box and pours it on his head anointing him as king and priest for his burial, right? Now, the oil is very expensive, and the alabaster box is even more expensive. To own an alabaster box, you keep it. You use the oil, then you refill it (laughs) with oil. If you break the head off the alabaster box, it is no longer of any use. Y'all don't want to help me today. It is no longer usable. What she's saying is prophetic. I know you to be king and messiah and we don't need no other anointing. We don't need no other thing. I don't need no other riches. I don't need no other wealth. I don't need no house. I don't need no car. All I need is you, king and messiah. She gave the box itself to be broken in his presence. The box itself. Many of us could give some of our emotions to the Lord. But it takes a true disciple to give mind, body, and spirit standing all over the house. She's a true disciple. She said, I'm not going to need this alabaster jar no more. Everything... Working on your preaching voice, huh? (laughs) I'm not gonna need it. Y'all need to leave that in the podcast because I want to listen to this years later and laugh. (laughs) No more, no more. (laughs) You can tell we're getting excited for ministers and training, you know. People trying out, they, uh, no more by getting excited. So was this woman. Going back to our narrative, this Mary understood that after this, there is no other. I have no need for anything that this earth could buy me. I have no passion but him. He can get my oil and everything that I own. I don't plan on reusing it for anything. It is worthy just to break it in this one act. She gives her inside, and she gives her body to be used. The church is built off of saints that have been martyred, that not only gave their heart, mind, spirit, and emotions, but they also yielded their bodies for every persecution that evil could conjure up. This is a disciple. When it says, you you can have more than my mind and my good intentions. You can have more than my faith. I will believe unto death. And I'll prove it by breaking anything of value value here on this earth and say it all belongs to you use it as you will the altar is open if you find yourself as one of these women maybe you have an alabaster box that you have not broken there's something in you that you're constantly a desire that you hold on very tightly to that you don't want the Lord to to challenge in you come on the altar is open for you that's the individual that says I know I'm holding on to something that I don't want the Lord to challenge me in. I didn't before now. Now I'm saying to him, even this is his. Come on, come to the altar. Even this is yours. Maybe you recognize that in all of my sin and all of my shame, my relationship with the Lord has been more of me trying, trying to live right, more of me trying to do right trying to be responsible, and it needs to be more about an overflow of love that I have because he has forgiven me of much. What your heart is really saying is that I don't feel that he truly forgives me because I have not been able to move past this. Come on, the altar is open. No matter how great, no matter how small. I pray that you like me could find how much sin God had to forgive in our hearts how much he had to wash in our hearts and I want to see the magnitude of every sinful act I want to see the magnitude of every debased thing I want to see the magnitude of how it affected God his kingdom and everything else that I might see the forgiveness that he brings to my life and if I could receive forgiveness and even this laundry list Of horrible things and he forgives that list each and every one then let God be glorified the Bible says even if your heart condemns believe God come on the altar is open for those of you that have found yourself not truly receiving the forgiveness of God come on the altar is open join these individuals come on in the name of Jesus